Hello and welcome to episode 102 of the Liverpool Comedy Improvcast with me, Ian Luke-Jones. This is where we get to know the people who make up the LCI community and the worldwide improv community and a place where we delve into all sorts of improv topics. And today we are kicking off the new year in style with the ever so delightful Mimi Van Amerongen. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts and wherever else you get your podcasts. We're even available on Amazon Podcasts, which means that you can ask Alexa to play the show. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, please leave us a five-star review and subscribe to the show to give us a boost and help get our name out there. And now it's time to go off script and find out Mimi's true story about making stuff up. And please welcome our first guest of the year. It's Mimi. Hello. Uh, so, uh, Mimi, you are currently in Amsterdam. Correct. And we are going to have a lovely chat about improv. I'm just going to sort of let everyone know, first of all, where I first encountered you. I first encountered you at the Robin Hood Improv Festival last year, and you were teaching a class there, which was all about finding your inner goofball. And as soon as I saw that class was advertised, <laughs> I was like, that is the one that is for me. It, it was calling to me. And I, went, and I had a great time. And so I want to talk about that in a bit. But first of all, uh, can you just introduce yourself to everyone, let everyone know who you are and, and what your improv story is? Oh, for sure. I'll try to keep it not, I'll keep, I'll keep it brief, but informative. Um, I, I've been a performer my whole life. So theater, musical theater from the start of age eight. And you do a lot of improv when you're doing theater, actually. But when I really started training as an improviser was in 2017. Um, actually, I think the 4th of January, we're recording this on the 3rd. And so it's, it's nearing my anniversary um, for my first official improv class at Dallas Comedy House in Dallas, Texas, which it doesn't exist anymore. Um, it closed during the pandemic, but was probably the most incredible place to start improv. Um, I was taking classes, uh, interning at the theater. There were shows every night of the week, six or seven shows a night. There was a jam every Tuesday. Um, so basically started rehearsing, watching, taking classes and performing like five or six days a week for about a year. Um, I got really into it, <laughs> like most people do when they start improv. And because I joined with a theatrical background, it was quite easy to learn the improv side of performing. I was like, I can stand on stage. I can project. I can act. I can emote. I've got all that down. Now I just need to learn how to do the improv. So it kind of fast-tracked me into really um, honing those improv skills. So I did that for about a year and a half. I was on house teams. I did musical improv. I did short form. I did long form. Um, the, the the talent at in Dallas was also insane. Like uh, getting to watch some of the funniest people still to this date. It's been I don't know seven years, and still think I've seen some of the funniest shows ever at Dallas Comedy House. Um, and then I moved to Amsterdam, and when I got here, I dove right into all the various theaters we've got a few different places uh, where you can perform in Amsterdam and learn and 
took some workshops, joined some groups, um, and eventually started performing at Boom Chicago. And I'm not a cast member there, but I have performed with the cast many times. I am called upon when they're out of, when their cast members are sick or on vacation or what have you, when they're when they're needing a few more performers, I'm uh, one of their go-tos, which is very cool. Also because a year ago I started teaching there. So I teach level one mostly because I'm very enthusiastic. <laughs> and um, I have something, I really love getting people excited about improv. So um, kind of between, in the years in between, because I only became a teacher there a year ago, I was teaching acting and improv with other companies like Act Attack and making my own workshops and of course attending tons of festivals. My um, favorite ones are around England and the Nordics. So I kind of stick to those. My first one was in um, Oslo with a team called Land of Giants and we are still going strong. So that's the longest running improv team I've ever been on, which is very cool. And that team performed at uh, Robin Hood where we um, met. <laughs> and I think that's one of the teams that really helped me find my voice and become the, the wacky improviser that I am today. Well, that's great. That's uh, a really great journey that you've been on. And I just want to ask you how you were impacted by the pandemic in terms of improv, because a lot of the world went online. Were you doing stuff online during that time? A little bit. I did one show with Stacy Smith online um, from my house, and then I didn't enjoy it as much. Um, so I, I kind of, I guess, took a break in a way. However, we opened up with lots of restrictions over here. So Boom was doing shows live streamed from their theater. So I got to go and perform on their stage without an audience, maybe three or four people in the audience, but everyone could watch online. So I wasn't teaching classes. I wasn't taking classes or anything, but I was able to perform in person. I didn't, I didn't find the joy of Zoom improv, but I did, we found a way around it. We could get a few of us together that we were together and on stage, and then the audience would be um, over Zoom or what have you watching which I think was a really cool alternative. We were very lucky. <laughs> yeah, sounds good. Now, the the class that I did with you in Nottingham was all about finding it in a goofball. And you've you've referenced a couple of times already that you're seen as a bit wacky and things like that. So I just want to talk, what was the process when it came to coming up with that course? Mm, that's a very good question. Creating your own workshop is not easy. Um, I... But when I teach, I like to think, what is it about improv that I love, that I do well, and that I think other people would enjoy? And when they watch, specifically me and Isaac, I don't know if you remember him or you've met him. He's part of Land of Giants. We have this um, extreme silliness that knows no bounds and somehow is able to also be grounded enough to have people follow and enjoy. And he's an extremely experienced improviser. So I definitely think finding that improv soulmate where you you click, you connect, you get them, you yes and them in your sleep. And um, 
you can create these scenes and characters together that I'm sure you've seen sometimes um, shows where you're like, it looks like they're having a lot of fun, but they're not bringing the audience with them. You know, we're in the audience kind of watching people run around like crazy people. (laughs) (laughs) And I think that there is a way. And what I found with Land of Giants is there's a really nice blend of being that wacky, um, extreme, whether it's silly, goofy, however you want to classify it, but the um, the freak versus the straight man. You could have two chaotic players on stage as long as they have certain elements that ground their um, silliness, whether it's whatever it is that's relatable, then the audience is there with you. And those were the most fun shows that I've had when I looked back and I went, I sat there with my scene partner making silly noises uh, for three minutes and the audience loved it. Why did that happen? Why did they like that? And just trying to dissect that and teaching that is not easy. Bringing that into a workshop is not easy. Um, But that was my goal for sure was to find that, that specific part of joy of improv for me and show people not to be afraid of it. And also getting out of your comfort zone is a huge part of that. So just building confidence in the students was, was a major plot point for that workshop, I think. Yeah, good, good stuff. Now, Land of Giants, I just want to talk about, about your, your troop there and what sets Land of Giants apart from other troops? What is your angle? Because every, every troop, every group, they've got to have their, their thing that sets them apart. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do short form mostly, so my troop, the Oikers, we focus just on, on short form. So it's kind of mm-hmm. easy for us because we know we're going into it. We're just playing short form games. But then whenever I do long form stuff, you know, a lot of it is going to be centered around how you're going to get to the set. What's your ask for going to be? Is it going to be monologues? All that kind of thing. Uh, so mm-hmm. let's just talk through the the process for you guys. Sure. Um, I don't know how familiar, familiar you are with Reform. Do you yeah, know what I mean by familiar. that? Yeah. yeah. Um, and for those listening, it's essentially a format that has no rules as far as we've played short form games within our long form sets the transitions are um the way we go from one scene to the next very fluid or sometimes completely short form clunky it's there's a list of free form moves that you can make but that list is also never ending because anything that you can think of, as long as your team has a group mind and knows what's going on, you can do it. So the special thing about Land of Giants is the long we've been playing together for so long that if one of us has this idea and we go, oh, this could be a really cool way to transition. Like I changed a scene once, they were reading a book in a scene and I just turned a giant book page across the front of the stage to go to the next chapter, so it were. And and they got it, they understood what I was doing. They understood that was an edit and then I just started a new scene or um, line steals. So anyway, our, our team focuses on a group mind and a fluidity. And we've been described as when you watch it, it's like an improv magic that they don't know how, the audience doesn't know how we know what's going on. Like they they can't tell our little tricks. And sometimes they're things we've agreed upon, like a lion steal, 
but sometimes they're things that we haven't and we just follow the fun. Um, our format starts with an object. We are uh, inside that object or we are the object. So I think in, um, we were a KitchenAid mixer in at Robinhood in Nottingham. And then the first scene starts with using the object. And from there, the two things that we think of is fun and bigger. We just expand, we go bigger. What is fun? What is exciting? And it's an extremely physical group as well. We're super comfortable with each other. We'll pick each other up. We'll roll over the floor. We'll pimp each other out to do things. Um, I think that's a special aspect of teams when you can see that they have so much trust and group mind and that you feel like you have no idea what's going to happen. It's super unpredictable. But when something comes up that you think, oh, gosh, is that person going to be okay to do that? You know, sometimes you see groups and you go, oh, no, are they okay being lifted? I feel like we bring the, we absolutely know that we're okay climbing on top of each other. <laughs> you can see that from the get-go. Um, so maybe, I guess, yeah. So that's kind of how I would describe our shows. <laughs> and something that stood out to me as well, you've just said it there. There's lots of pictures taken at festivals and things. And at the Robin Hood Festival, there were lots of professional pictures taken as long as, as well as lots of pictures just on people's phones and things. So there were loads of pictures shared in the, in the group and on the page. And every single picture of you that, that I remember seeing was you in some sort of wacky position and you crouched down or you're doing some big over the top gesture. There weren't any just sort of Mimi's just standing around on stage kind of pictures. <laughs> <laughs> I do. Some talking head scenes, but not very many. <laughs> Especially at Robin Hood, there's something about that festival that brings out the um, the dynamic uh, side of my improv. I also I love that that the stage, the seats go up, so it's raked seating, which means you get on the floor, everyone can still see you. Yeah, and you did some great stuff lovely. with some great stuff with Andy L there. Is <laughs> Andy L someone that you've worked with before? No. <laughs> <laughs> That was amazing, that show. Um, Stacey Smith was supposed to come. She's my duo partner for musical improv. And she had a family emergency. She was not able to attend the festival. And within 24 hours notice, Andiel came from LA to come perform and teach. I had taken a workshop of hers. I'd taken two workshops of hers before. The year before uh, at Nottingham and one other in Oslo. So I knew her enough, like we were friends, but we had never performed together. And I just, I was so thrilled. We had this whole idea, this concept for a show. We were able to get basically a full band together. We had piano, drums, guitar, and saxophone <laughs> playing for us. We had all the, I mean, yeah, talk about lifting each other up. Like we were definitely picking each other up in that show, climbing all over each other, dancing. Um, I have a high energy, high physicality play style. Hers is that times a hundred. <laughs> <laughs> so it was really, it was something special. Yeah. The, the energy you can even just see on pictures. If anyone sees any pictures, it looks, it looks magical. Just looking at the two of you together. <laughs> Thank you. I really hope to do a show with her again. I think it was almost like a beautiful car crash. 
in, in the best way possible. I think that was maybe one of the shows where the chaos was dialed up a little higher than the audience could <laughs> comprehend or go along with at some points, but I didn't mind because it was just so fun. <laughs> <laughs> and something I love is when I go to take a workshop with someone and I come away with new games because I, I do a lot of improv. I'm, I run mm-hmm. sessions a lot. Uh, I attend a lot of sessions and a lot of the time you're kind of just recycling the same stuff. So I love it when I can go somewhere and come away with something new. And you played this great game with us called um, Animal Waiting Room. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so I just wanted to know, where did that game come from? How long have you been using that game? It's great. Um, that is the first time I used that game. And I'm going to be honest, I saw it in a show. <laughs> Easy laughs. <laughs>, <laughs> credit where credit is due. At Easy Laughs short form, student showcase did this game. They asked for animals and they all just came out, sat in a chair and then left. <laughs> and the thing was, they didn't have ailments. Uh-huh. So they were just animals who came in and sat. I don't know that it was a, a waiting room, but I, I wanted to level it up. So I gave each person, no, I, I think I gave you the animal, but you got to pick the disease. <laughs> Yeah. Or like why you were in the waiting room. Um, and the, uh, the idea that you can, that's like, to me, the wacky is the animal playing an animal and the relatable is a disease or an ailment that most humans have, say a cold or a headache or whatever pregnant. I think we had a pregnant dolphin or something. Um, a reason to go to the doctor. And that was the relatable grounding part. And then the fun part was the animals. So I just thought, oh, yes, this is going to be so fun. I could have played that game the whole workshop, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was a lot of fun. And everyone I have done it with has loved it as well. So I run um, a, a co-run, a Flincher Funny Bone, which is sort of our local improv scene here in North mm-hmm. Wales. And I'm also a primary school teacher, so uh, I do a lot of extracurricular stuff with children and improv is one of the things I do. And that is a game that the children instantly took to and they just love that one. Oh, I love that. That I must be so fun doing improv with kids. Yeah, it, it can be fun. It can be a bit frustrating at times, though, because it's it's weird that as adults, we're always trying to get in touch with our child side, but... Mm-hmm. there's a certain amount of the children kind of need to get in touch with their adult side as well. Um, mm-hmm. Because an issue, uh, certainly British children that I've, I've spent 20 years teaching, I find the age groups I'm working with actually kind of lack a bit of imagination. If you give them an example of how something works, mm-hmm. you're then going to go and see, oh, 30 sort of slight variations on the example you just gave. <laughs> Let's, it's yep. the same in class if I'm trying to teach them how to write a story. I'll say, oh, don't just start once upon a time. I'll come up with some random introduction. And then when I see their books, I'm like, oh, they've basically all just taken what I said. all taken it. Yeah. <laughs> what, uh, sorry, can you, I don't know if you already said, what are the ages? Oh, so I currently teach what we call year four. So that is mm-hmm. um, eight to nine-year-olds. 
Okay. Yeah. Oh yeah. I remember in that age, you're, you're in between really embracing your childhood and kind of edging towards puberty and getting, (laughs) wanting to be a teenager. So I can imagine, you know, that's a hard, that's a hard age to to wrangle. I would love to teach kids though. Because like you said, we are trying to find our inner child when we play. And I'm sure that there's some games that work better than others. <laughs> but what, what have you like had the most fun besides the animal waiting room? But what have had, what's been the most fun to, to play with the kids? Uh, well, they love. So one of my favorite games they happen to love as well, uh, which is phraseology, which has got lots of different names. So I call it phraseology. That's the one where... There's one person in a scene generally with two other people and like the person in the middle, they can say whatever. And then the the other people have got set phrases. So there's just like Mm. a question or a statement and they're the only things they can say. The children really enjoy that. They also really enjoy um, uh, like games like Attenborough where they get to sort of do commentary and the others get to be the animals that are being commentated on. Oh, that's great. I never play that. That's super fun. Uh, yeah, narration is such a fun device in in, in the show. Uh, also, string of pearls is something they enjoy doing. I don't know if you know string of pearls. I do. Oh, I'm impressed that they can play that. <laughs> I know many adults that are terrible at that game. <laughs> <laughs> um, they so get yeah, so that... in their head about the story making sense. I can. I guess maybe kids are like, I don't care. I just want to say the sentence that I wanted to say. <laughs> I guess one of the things from my point of view, when it comes to actually like leading a session, there's a lot less pushback from from children because you know they're mm. used to the teacher telling them what to do. Whereas adults will get more in their head and they'll stress about certain things. Whereas children are more like, "Oh, sir said to do that, so I'll just do that. I won't question it." Interesting. Yeah, when I teach, I think I do find pushback on games like String of Pearls only because they really do want it to be good and make sense. And unless you can really um, emphasize guys, just say anything um, when there, it, it brings the confidence level down so much to think, Oh, it's up to me to bridge this sentence and this sentence. And I have to be creative and I have to be funny. And I have to, I'm like, nobody's writing this down. <laughs> this is just a warm up. This is just a game. So it is, I think that, that I think trips them up sometimes, um, is that need, if you still have the goal of perfectionism or, or making sense of everything, um, that makes it harder. Kids are a little bit more adaptable to just being silly. Yeah. And there's a big contrast between sort of the age groups that I work with. So in school, I'll tend to do improv for year four and five children. So that is, uh, eight, nine, 10. Mm-hmm. Uh, my fiance, she, she runs improv for teenagers, uh, which is sort of 11 to 18. And mm. that's been running for a couple of years now. It's called Stand Tall Improv. And I've, I've been able to sort of see that journey of, of the children that have been involved. And like, there's a couple of girls there that were 15 when they started. They're sort of 17 now. And, they are 
like some of the best improvisers I've ever seen. They are so funny and they just get it, but they, they kind of mm. got it right from the start. But to see their journey over the last couple of years has been amazing. And I'll often catch uh, their sessions during holidays or I'll catch the end of their sessions or uh, or the little shows that they put on and stuff. Or sometimes I'll go in and, and teach sessions as well for them. And it's just great to see because it's completely its, its own thing. It's different from the adult sessions and it's different from the sessions with the young ones. And mm -hmm. there's really great sort of characters that come to life. And it's through Ooh, sort yeah. of the most difficult period of your life that those teenage years when you're in school and, and you really don't want to stand out and things. And here they are choosing to come and sort of learn to be comfortable standing out. It's really great to watch. Oh, I can imagine what it would have been like to do that. I mean, I was doing theater in, in high school. So there were some moments of, of improv, but getting to really focus on that and explore, yeah, like, like you said, characters. And I, I think that would have really made, um, made a difference in my confidence in being out, like standing out. Um, and I think that's so beautiful because being unique is what it's all about once you're an adult and, and fitting in, it was what all it's all about according to the kids when they're in school and it's a hard transition if you don't want to be ostracized or criticized and you think that you will be um that's something i love about improv is the the mentality that you get to just love everybody's quirks and differences and everything that they bring that's different is a gift and it's a joy to have and i think i see that in my daily life with my friendships outside of improv, even with my family, they'll say something. And before I started improv, I may have judged that or shot it down. And then I just say, yes, I just say yes all the time. I don't know if you found this, but someone asked me a question as a joke. And before I would have been like, no, that's not correct. This is actually the reality. But before I correct them, I will say, yes, go along with the joke, have a chuckle, enjoy and acknowledge their creativity and then say, but actually this is uh, what is going on. <laughs> uh, yeah, I kind of know what you mean there. Saying yes to things and just going uh, for the flow. As a teacher, it sort of fascinates me because all of the teachers that I talk with hate the idea of sort of standing up in front of people not knowing what they're going to say. And I'm always like, well, that's literally what you do for a living. <laughs> Right? <laughs> That's what everyone does all day. Yeah. And they think it's so different because there's an audience, which, sure, a little bit there is. But I think once you get in deep enough couple lessons, you realize um, it is talking. It's just talking. And I think when the yes and clicks, especially the yes, when I teach level one, the yes is the hardest thing to click. People want to say no, they want to make a joke, they want to shut down the other person and make fun of them sometimes. And I understand that coming into level one, if you've never done improv and you just want to get a laugh and you want to be funny, saying that something is wrong or ugly might make someone chuckle and then the scene is over, right? Yeah. 
So dealing with that unfiltered, unabashed, like enthusiastic, yes, getting that in your bones that you have to like everything as the improviser. Your character doesn't. And I say you have it has to be established already. But if it's not established, you you love it. There's no other option. <laughs> because why would you not? Yeah. What is the point of bringing that negative energy to the stage? I, lo- I understand the point of drama and conflict. And I do love a dramatic improv. Improvising a play. I taught improv for actors recently. And I gave them this Keith Johnstone exercise called It's Tuesday. Oh, yeah. I know that one. You know it. And the first time through, we went through and I went, it's, everyone does it Tuesday and it's the greatest day ever. Something so exciting is happening on this day. They all did it. And then we did it's Tuesday and it's really sad or stressful or horrible. Pick a, a negative emotion to drive this Tuesday. And I mean, we had scenes of, I mean, these people aren't improvisers, they're actors. But These two people had this scene where someone was, you know, every Tuesday they would be, they were going to um, uh, like therapy and their partner was trying to support them and they they just weren't having it anymore. And, and it got really intense and emotional. And, and I mean, we, we were so affected in the audience and you don't, you don't see dramatic improv like that all the time. Um, I don't know about in the UK, we have quite a bit in Amsterdam, but I never get to teach it. Like I taught a goofball course. There's no negativity there. <laughs> so there is something beautiful when I see and do improvised plays. So I'm not saying there's not room for negative feelings, but as the improviser, you still have to love the idea that was presented. And that's not easy. I think that's one of the harder things to teach the children, actually, that everything needs that positive spin on things. Don't block people. Don't put them down. Accept their ideas. I think that's easier mm-hmm. to teach the adults. It's not necessarily easier to get the adults to do it, but it's easier for them to understand it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but talking yeah. about actors. I'm sure that they're... Oh, just on the kids, I, I wonder how affected they are by their parents constantly correcting their behavior and telling them what not to do probably live in a world where that's um, I mean, they're learning a lot of stuff and they're failing a lot and it's maybe a bit impacted on their knee jerk reactions to things is no, that's wrong. Do it this way. Do it my way. Cause kind of that's how we are as kids. Our parents are telling us to do it their way. Yeah. And linking that to actors as well one of the the things i think is probably one of the main differences between an actor and an improviser is an actor is generally afraid to fail and an improviser is not Mm. and Mm -hmm. very similar to being a child like a child doesn't want to get it wrong because they don't want to disappoint their parents or the teacher the actor doesn't want to disappoint the director (laughs) or the producer yeah whereas the improviser everyone's in the same boat and you know, if something doesn't go to plan, it's very easy to just sort of scratch that and and move on to Mm -hmm. something else and be okay with that. And I think that's Mm -hmm. one of the things a lot of people struggle with 
with the idea of improv, if they're, if they're worried about improv, it's the fear of standing there and getting stuff wrong because I haven't planned anything. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the beautiful ways to reiterate why you should say yes, because then you can't fail. And I put fail in quotes because whatever you say is going to be met with absolutely. Let's go with that. Um, and I, I do think in level one, that's the biggest growth thing I see as them being okay with trying the new things, stepping outside of the comfort zone where they feel like their failure is minimized or not even there. They, the world that they know, um, and everyone, everyone should learn how to fail better (laughs) and to, to be and say, hooray, I failed because if you failed, you tried something new and that's the only way to get better at things. I, I, I liken it to sports sometimes um, because in sports, you're allowed to learn a new trick or a new move and fail, 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 fail until you get it. But there are some arts and some practices that we have in our society that we think we're supposed to be perfect at immediately. Like, I don't know if you've ever made bread or made, I was trying to make sourdough in the pandemic. I don't think I ever made a real loaf of sourdough, but I wasn't afraid to to put dough in the oven because it was going to come out like a flat pancake of nothing and we couldn't eat it. Um, but sometimes I'm afraid to put pen to paper and or type words on a page when I'm writing because it's not going to be perfect the first time it comes out or people don't want to draw something because they're not it's not going to look exactly like they want it to yeah that makes a lot of sense i fall into that i don't want to draw category because <laughs> whatever i visualize it doesn't look like that on paper and people are always like oh, oh gosh. just 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 give it a go and then people see what i'm capable of and they're like oh yeah i can, I can see why you wanted to hold back <laughs> oh no <laughs> yeah now i have to see some of your drawings <laughs> oh you really don't want to but i think I'm a creative person. Like I will write you songs. I will write you scripts, anything like yeah. that at the drop of a hat, but ask me to sort of paint you a picture or draw you a picture. Mm-hmm. I just can't do it. I don't know whether some of that is because I was severely visually impaired as a, as a child. Um, oh, okay. I was born with a, a type of cataract and I w- if it wasn't for medical science being so wonderful, I, I would have gone blind by now. Um, wow. So when I was learning the basics of how to sort of put pen to paper and things. I couldn't actually see what I was doing. So I don't know whether that has had a long-term impact on my, my terrible art skills, but. It's very possible that hand-eye coordination you get with drawing and going from doodling as a kid. Um, it's, it, it really does make, make a difference, but there are some people who do have a natural aptitude for it. It's also a skill you can learn. It's also, photorealistic drawing is just one type of drawing, right? Yeah. Like that's another thing is if you look at art and visual arts, especially there's a million different ways to visually depict something. And for me, the most most interesting stuff, I mean, there were centuries where people were just basically drawing photographs because we didn't have cameras, (laughs) but we have cameras now. (laughs) 
<laughs> so I don't really care that you can do a photorealistic drawing as much as you can bring out an emotion with a certain medium. Yeah, that's and, good. Uh, yeah. And, um, but I don't, I don't think I'll be on your team for Pictionary. <laughs> that's fair. <laughs> uh, another thing that we did when we did your workshop was the game where you have to pick out the profession and you pick out um, a word, like a describing word, mm -hmm. an adjective. And I really loved the scene that I was in with the person. I, I can't remember who this person was now. It's the only time I've ever met yeah. him. We, we that, you were uh, a sassy astronaut, weren't you? I was a sassy astronaut. <laughs> <laughs> well remembered. That was so good. And do you know, I was kicking myself. Like I think it was the next day. I, I was taking a picture of like my wristband and some of the things from the festival. And I, mm -hmm. I still had the words. So I unfolded the words, sassy and astronaut, put them together in the picture. Mm -hmm. And as I was looking at it, I was like, how did I not call myself a sastronaut? <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's funny. Yes. Well, you were, you didn't, you maybe didn't say it in that many words, but you embodied sastronaut. <laughs> <laughs> So much. I actually found the other day a couple of those slips of paper. I found a few occupations um, lying around my bedroom. Excellent. That was a fun one. Yeah. That's another thing is giving yourself more than just what you do, but in what way do you do it? So when you get on stage, having an emotion or an adjective to describe your profession um, or just to describe your space work, you could say, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to clean dishes, but I'm going to do it and I find dishes delightful or whatever. Um, just adding those little extra layers always makes it more fun and helps you find the silly and the goofiness while still having that one thing people know. They know dishes. They know professions. They can, they can come into your world. But when you're a um a, i don't know a space monster from a planet we've never heard of playing a game that has no rules that uh you've also made up on the spot like a board game we really don't have much to hold on to as the audience um so be that space monster and just play jenga <laughs> so at least we've got jenga and then the rest will um elevate the Jenga into something fun. Yeah, yeah, that's great advice. I love any game that's sort of grounded in in realism. There's a game that we play uh, with the Oikas quite a lot. That's my troop. Uh, it's called mm -hmm. Domestic Olympics. Are you aware of Domestic Olympics? Yes, that's <laughs> a great game. I've played it in so long. Yeah, and we've got a couple that are like there. We kind of filled slots within our troop um and when it comes to shows we sort of kind of know who's who's in the strongest position for each role when we have our get-togethers mm -hmm. we all take turns doing all the roles yeah uh, we've got two uh dave and liz and they are always the two that whenever we do a show it's it's those two versus each other in the domestic olympics uh we switch around the commentators quite a bit um but it's it, in the shows it's always those two so they've got like this this year-long rivalry of 
all of the different domestic tour. Oh man. What what are some of the best ones that they've done? Um I think cleaning the dishes and ironing are, are probably some of the best ones I've seen. That's really fun. Oh, that's a great game to bring to my level ones. <laughs> yeah. Um now I said there about my troop having people have their kind of niches within the troop. I'm mm -hmm. known generally for my love of puns and wordplay, and that's what kind of people expect from me. What would people expect from you in your troop? What do they think you regularly mm. bring to the table? So I definitely bring character and, um, well, I'm pretty adaptable. It depends on what team I'm in. But if I had my way and I could fill a slot, I would be a very, very big characters with like level 10 emotions and um, the off uh, now and then having a song. <laughs> <laughs> um, I also do find myself quite good at being the person who, and I, you know, robot pirate ninja. Yeah. I'm definitely a pirate, but I have, I, but I'm, I'm wear a robot costume sometimes, or maybe I'm <laughs> a robot who wears a pirate costume sometimes, but there is that, okay, this happened, this happened, this happened. I do have that little need to make sense of everything to an extent that it can be enjoyed by everybody, including those in the scene, because if you don't know what's going on, <laughs> so much so that you can't have fun um it's it's always a creative problem solving sort of angle that i i bring into into the team however i prefer the team to always be on the same page <laughs> so if that's the case then i get to just be my um loud boisterous eccentric emotional pirate um, physical and uh, voices. I like a lot of voices. Um, yeah, I say that's that's me. I think voices are great. I love voices and accents and anything like that. And mm -hmm. for me, I think it's because I love the feeling of becoming someone else, and like as well as the the physical character traits just changing your voice helps you be someone else and that's one of the things i come to improv for to just live in someone else's body for a little while and I, voices exactly what what's your go-to accent my go-to accent um i i have been known to often do a bit of a dutch accent actually uh i i love uh, an accent or a welsh accent um oh. There's lots of different ones, really. I also, I am a voice actor, so I I spend a lot of time doing voices. There you go. Definitely play to your strengths, always. If you're listening yeah. to this improv podcast and you don't know what to do on stage, start with the stuff you know and love and are good at because, like, that's your uniqueness. So for me, it's the acting, being the actress and bringing the emotions and the drama and the characters. That's why I go there. And do you ever find, because you're known for sort of being the, the wacky 
fun, crazy person. Do you ever find that sometimes you find yourself in a really meaty sort of drama based scene and you get to really sort of show off your acting chops and people are really surprised? Yeah, actually, one comes to mind a few years ago at the Info Amsterdam audition. So it's quite an interesting setup. They used to have auditions for the Dutch cast for a festival here, and they were done in front of an audience. And we had, I have, was given that exact challenge, which was play this scene, very grounded. You and your partner are sitting, have just been told that one of you has a few weeks or months to live. Wow. And I mean, playing that scene, some pe- people knew I was an actress, but like I got into it. And of course, as an improviser, you find those moments of levity to make sure the audience isn't just distraught and <laughs> crying when you're done with the scene. But it was me and Nora, who's also on Land of Giants. And yeah, I mean, we were crying on stage, but not in a way. And it was more like a we were being nostalgic and thinking of, you know, and yeah, I, I came off stage and people went, okay, so you can also do that. <laughs> <laughs> and I went, yeah, but it's more fun to be goofy. <laughs> Yeah, I, I've experienced that as well, where sometimes I've done like a really serious scene and people are so used to me just cracking jokes and being a silly guy that mm-hmm. they're really taken aback. But mm-hmm. I think it's good. It's, it's good nice. To, uh, to sort of to do that every now and again. Yeah, I I want to... There's, there's, a, there's a group here called Flock and they do a lot of more dramatic theatrical improv. And when I have the time, um, I'm really going to lean into that because I've found a lot of more joy in embracing those real human emotions. And you know, there's so many different facets to what improv can be. And I have the goofy and the silly and the fun covered. I've got enough of those teams and those experiences and opportunities, and they will be ongoing. Um, but I was recently in a play that was very serious, very intense acting challenge. Um, it was set in the multiverse. So every scene restarted with slightly different lines, new intentions. Um, it, it was incredibly difficult to learn and to play, but super rewarding. And it made me think of how nice it is to, to do drama. I had been doing comedy for so long. <laughs> I forgot how much I actually loved proper drama. And so I hope to bring that into my improv career again this year. Awesome. Now, on a slightly different note, because we, we're always talking about things we love in improv. Is there anything that you don't particularly enjoy? Now, my example here is I hate warm-ups. Mm-hmm. Like, anyone that knows me, they know I hate warm-ups. I understand the importance of warm-ups, particularly if it's like a a one-off sort of workshop where you've got loads of people that don't know each other. You need to give people the opportunity to learn names and things. But when you're getting together with people that you've always uh, doing improv with, I just want to do it. I I don't need to spend 15 to 20 minutes of my improv time just doing warm-ups, but that's just my personal Mm -hmm. opinion. Do you have any 
uh, part of improv that you feel that way about? Hmm. That's a good question. I know there are like some specific short form games I hate. Okay. But I think it's because I'm terrible at them. <laughs> so audience sound effects is one of the ones I cannot stand. And I had to play this. I was playing at Boom. Packed house, 250 people. We're on the big stage. Main cast. They gave me the lineup. I see I'm playing audience sound effects. I just go, no, you can do it. You can do it, Mimi. Just do. And I forgot that it's okay to not like or be good at everything. And I could have just said, hey, can I switch games (laughs) with someone because I'm not good at this and I don't like it. So it's not going to make for a great scene. And I was right. Um, it was fine. <laughs> but yeah, just, there's just a few games I'm not great at. And I don't feel the need to be excellent at every single short form game. So, But in, in a broader sense, I think whenever improv is competitive, I don't like that. Um, so there's things like cage matches or I understand the importance and the need for auditions, but I don't like them. We have auditions for the new house teams at Boom Chicago on Sunday. And I know a lot of people are going to have to go through that, that feeling of, um, rejection and which I don't think there's a lot of room and improv for that. Um, or at least it's not the ethos of improv that I like to think improv is. Yeah, 100%. I'm fortunate. I got my start with Liverpool Comedy Improv. And Liverpool Comedy Improv is just this amazing place, which is all about uh, bringing each other up, not um, putting each other down. And because that's where I started during the, the pandemic, when I was sort of spreading my wings a lot further and I was doing things with people all over the world, I did get uh, an opportunity to do some of the more sort of competitive uh, improv things and I just didn't enjoy it. I was like, that's that's not what I want. Uh, I, I don't want to be playing. Uh, um, because all it, all it came down to was who was able to get the most friends to watch the show, to send in votes, that kind of thing. I'm like, well, yeah. it's, not even, it's not even real voting. It's just a popularity contest. So... Yeah, I very quickly learned that's not for me. That's that's not the happy little improv bubble that, that I live in. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. But I, I mean kudos to the people who wanna do it and can do it. I think the odd I think there's especially auditions, there's sometimes a need for it. But when it comes to shows, I did a cage match recently and I just I didn't like being unhappy that someone else his team was so funny i don't like that feeling yeah and i like in my head i go you know there's there's certain levels there's a gut feeling of you want to win so oh i'm mad the other team's doing so well when in any other night i would have enjoyed that show so much i love these people they're so funny i don't i don't like being put in that position yeah 100 percent and then uh, we'll start to bring this to a close. I just want to ask, so we're right at the start right. of the year. 2024 is ahead of us. What are your improv goals for 2024? Oh, love that. Um, I um, I want to do a lot more on the main stage at Boom. So I want to play more shows. I want to, um, a lot more musical improv. I've 
taken a, I took a step back last year because of a vocal injury. So coming back into the musical improv scene, um, also teaching it more. I have a few musical workshops I like to I like to do. Hope to do those more this year. And dramatic improv. Um, imp- make an improvised play, maybe. I'm not sure. I also have a uh, a show that my, my friend and I created a format and produced, and I hope to do a bunch more of those. It's an improvised reality TV show. And it always seems to be a joy to watch. Um, and everyone is asking us how they can get on the cast and perform it. So doing more of those. Yeah. Keeping the momentum. Well, I wish you well with all of those goals. And I Thank just you. want to say a massive thanks for, for coming on the show. It's been a real pleasure to chat with you. Yes. Thank you so much for having me on. It's been great to see you again and, and talk improv and hopefully we'll run into each other at another festival or something. I would love to see Oikers or any of your teams um, traveling around be great yeah uh, fingers crossed uh, that that happens and we are uh, making the round a bit this year i think with some festivals and stuff so watch this space excellent (laughs) yes i will i will stay following uh you on the socials i'll we'll keep up like that excellent well thanks again thank you so much have a good one well thank you so much to mimi what a fantastic way to kick off the year that was yeah it's 2024 everyone and we've got a whole new improv year ahead of us i'm super excited about the many things that are happening in my life to do with improv this year and just my life in general since this is the year that seki and i are actually getting married and that's going to be a wonderful thing which i'll probably talk to you about at some point in the year as we're leading up to it there's loads of great things going on with lci this year I just want to draw your attention to the beginners course that's happening this very week on Friday. If you're listening in real time, of course. If you're listening in the future, then that's already been and gone. But uh, there is always uh, the possibility that you might be able to get on there if, if you're looking for that just little nudge just to get in there and try something new. Then why not go and try the, the introduction to improv the beginners course there with Secretary Suarez coming up this Friday keep checking out the LCI socials and the website because there's loads of stuff going on throughout the year there's the regular drop-ins every Monday and then there'll be more courses as the year goes on so keep your eyes peeled because there's loads of great stuff coming and if you are interested in getting into improv or or already involved in improv and want to try out a different improv scene then all the information you need can be found at liverpoolcomedyimprov.co.uk you can also check us out on Facebook and just search for Liverpool Comedy Improv, also on X and Instagram. And if you want to follow this show in particular, then you can find us on Facebook. Just look for the Liverpool Comedy Improv cast on Facebook and you'll find everything you need about the show there. If you are a member of the LCI community and you'd like to be a guest on the show, then please get in touch with me or with Emma Bird and we'll make the arrangements as soon as possible. As always, if you're listening on Apple or Spotify, leave us a little review give us those stars because it's little things like that that help to really boost the show and get our name out there i'm all of the socials as always you can follow me on facebook x tiktok instagram uh, youtube just search for at in luke jones linkedin as well uh lots of my socials have sort of switched 
mainly to my voice acting uh, side of things now, but you can connect with me on any of those platforms or just go to my website, which is inlukejones.com. Don't forget it's I-A-I-N, two I's in this year. And yeah, that's inlukejones.com. If you go there, you'll find all things me. There's links to my improv stuff. There's links to my voice acting stuff with all my demo reels and ways to contact me. Uh, there's a, a blog I've been really focusing on my blog recently so go check out all my blog posts loads of look well I think there's loads of great content there hopefully there'll be something that'll tickle your taste buds and that brings this uh, episode to a close the first one of the year done and dusted always a great feeling and I'll tell you what else is a great feeling just knowing the many great guests I've got lined up over the next weeks and months so keep coming back I really appreciate you for supporting the show and I promise to keep on working really hard to bring you some great content every other week. Thank you very much. I want to say thanks again to Mimi because it was great just to sit and get the opportunity to chat. It was great for her to come on and, and do that. So thank you very much to Mimi and thank you very much to you for listening, everyone. I'm going to go now, but before I go, here are some words that are wise, wise, wise. Always remember... Whatever the situation, to treat life like improv, and yes, and...